Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We are continuing in our series entitled Important Prophecy Terms Compared and Contrasted, and we're looking at seven sets of terms that are important to understand the distinction uh, and the similarities between these seven sets of terms to each. Uh, an example, we're in point number one, looking at the difference between the Son of God and the Son of Man. And these, of course, are capitalized because we're referring to Jesus Christ. Uh, we also know from the Scripture that both terms, the Son of God and Son of Man, are used to refer to Adam, to angels, and even to the church when it comes to sons of God. And that the Son of Man, when it's not capitalized, is used to refer oftentimes to the authors, such as Ezekiel and Jeremiah and so forth. But we're talking about Jesus Christ here, and we're talking about it from the prophetic perspective, because as we look at what uh, God's plans are for the prophetic future for the church and for the unbelieving world, it's very important that we understand the use of these two terms, Son of God and Son of Man, as they relate to Jesus, because it will do a great deal of good to help you understand the context of a particular passage that you happen to be reading, because we know from our study of the Scriptures so far in this series that when you see the Son of God term, you know that rewards and blessing and grace are all involved. When you see the term the Son of Man, we see that judgment and um, uh, eternal separation from God and what we generally call hell or the lake of fire is all part and parcel of the Son of Man because it says in John chapter 5, and you see that in our worksheet there, uh, in both the Son of God and Son of Man, that uh, the Son of Man is coming to judge and we have been spending some time here looking at the Son of Man, and we might be able to finish that up today and move on to our second point. Uh, so in conclusion here, we were in Matthew 24, and we were looking at the term being used for the judgment that will take place uh, at the end of the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation, which is yet to come. And it's a period of time when the church has been taken off of the earth in what is called the rapture. And we have got the attention of the world because the attention of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have now turned back to Israel and the offer of the kingdom or what is called the gospel of the kingdom is being reoffered to Israel during the seven-year tribulation. And we know from the scriptures that prophetically that offer will be uh, completed. It will be realized at the end of the seven-year period. When Jesus comes, he judges, and then he sets up his millennial kingdom with Israel as the preeminent nation in the world, and Jesus as Lord of Lord and King of Kings sitting on his throne physically in Jerusalem. With the 12 apostles, uh, 
from uh, the book of Matthew, we know that they will be ruling over the 12 tribes, and we know from the book of Ezekiel that uh, King David will be resurrected along with those apostles, and he will be the king over Israel, with Jesus being the king over all the earth. So a lot of exciting things uh, for Israel to look forward to, and we, of course, as the church, will be able to see all this because we will be ruling and reigning on the earth um, with and for Christ during that millennial kingdom, something uh, exciting to look forward to. So we will not be sitting on a cloud in heaven strumming a harp, wearing Depends diapers as they want to uh, depict so many times. We will be here in our bodies, although they'll be glorified. We will be here on the earth doing work for uh, that thousand years. So Jesus is prepping Israel in Matthew 24, and that's where we are in our handout. Um, Matthew 24, we looked at 29 and 30 uh, verses to set the stage about the coming of the Son of Man to judge. And then we were getting into the eight parables, of which we're going to just touch on a couple Uh, the eight parables that are given to the apostles by Jesus in what is called the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. And we looked at one of those parables, and that was the one about the days of Noah. That's what we finished up in our last program, and that starts in verse 37. And it talks about in verse 37, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as it was in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So you very clearly see the term the Son of Man. Nowhere in here, uh, in the Olivet Discourse, do you see the term the Son of God because it all has to do with judgment. Judgment uh, dealing with the unrighteous. Um, so again, a very clear uh, delineation of the use of the term son of man. And when we talk about the days of Noah, it's the same basic thing, that the people during the tribulation will not know that they are um, sinning, that they will be, they will have a sin nature. There will be nothing really on the earth to tell them otherwise except for the 144,000 Uh, Jewish um, evangelists, and they're only on the earth in the first half of the tribulation, then they're taken to heaven. We find that in in, um, Revelation chapter 14. Then we have the two witnesses in the first half of the tribulation that are there witnessing principally to Israel, Um, and they are, uh, like the 144,000, taken back to heaven at the midpoint. So there's a a three-and-a-half-year period where all that's left is an angel in heaven that is um, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. And then as we find in Matthew 24, verse 13, then the end will come. And I said in verse 13, it's actually verse 14. Uh, The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come, the end of the tribulation will come. And these parables that we're reading in Matthew 24 are all strong admonitions by Christ of the apostles for the reading of the generation that will come during the tribulation to be firm, stand firm, uh, do not lose your righteousness, because if you lose your righteousness, you're going to lose your salvation. And of course, our our point here is that um, 
the Holy Spirit is working differently in the tribulation period, and that's what we're talking about in our Q&A time, and we'll continue to do that as well today in our Q&A portion, that the Holy Spirit is acting in the tribulation as he did in the Old Testament. He can come on people and he can leave people depend on their state of righteousness or state of uh, iniquity. So it's important to understand that difference as we study this Olivet Discourse. But within this discourse, we see that the Son of Man is going to come and judge, and it'll be just like the judgment in the days of Noah, that people didn't understand what was happening until the rain came. And of course, we see in Matthew 24, the people didn't understand until the sign of the Son of Man appeared in verse 30, there in Matthew 24, verse 30, and it says, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. So we see the same direct parallels here um, that the uh, the Lord is trying to make clear to us is the example of Noah is the same thing as it will be when the Son of Man comes. Then we move on to another parable, and that's down in um, Matthew 40, uh, 24, starting at verse 42 through 44. And it reads, therefore, be on alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Verse 44, For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So we see here the Son of Man being associated with the head of a household and the coming of a thief at night. And just instinctively you would read that and think, now that can't be the rapture of the church because there's so many, uh, if you will, negative connotations here, negative terms about night and thief and uh, breaking into something. Uh, And we know from um, the passage there about the days of Noah, as well as up there in verse uh, 30, that the people do not know when the uh, Son of Man is coming to judge. And that's reiterated again in verses 42 and in verses 44. So we see the same theme that the people don't know. So if you don't know, the admonition is, be ready. Now, that would be the same admonition that a pastor or a teacher or anyone should be giving to the flock, saying, be ready because the Lord's coming to rapture the church. Well, that is true, but it's true only in the sense of, are you about the work that the Lord has given you through the gifting of the Holy Spirit so that you can receive um, blessings and rewards when you see Jesus face to face? It has nothing to do in the rapture with salvation, because if you are a child of God through belief and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved and you are saved permanently. So it's again, uh, Jesus there in that case is the Son of God who is going to reward and is coming to bless. This is a thief that's coming to break in because he's coming to judge This is the Son of Man. Again, you don't see the term Son of God anywhere in here. And I wanted to make a point here about the thief 
because you think, wait a minute, Jesus, a thief. Well, yes, in this instance, he is because he's coming to judge. But you never see the term thief relating to Jesus as it relates to the church. You only see it as it relates to unbelievers. So if you would, let's go to the book of John. Keep your hand here in Matthew 24 because we're coming back to finish up. But go to John, John chapter 10. So you go to the right there, two or three books there, to John chapter 10. And let's see what Jesus says through the writer John about Jesus being a thief. Verse um, 1 of chapter 10, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now let's go down to verse 10. Also in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is the good shepherd who wants to come and to bless and to reward the righteous person. But for the unrighteous person, that same Jesus is coming as the Son of Man, and he's coming as a thief. He's going to break in to your life at the end of the tribulation because it'll be these unrighteous people. And he's going to come, and he's going to judge, and the result of that judgment is going to be eternal death for those people. So that's why he refers to himself as a thief here in Matthew 24, but it's relating to the tribulation period. Never do you see the term thief associated with Jesus and the church. So that's a very key point, a key point of understanding that I hope you grasp because you will hear people referring to Jesus as he relates to the church as being a thief. He never comes as a thief. All right, the last um, point I wanted to make was um, over in Matthew 25. And if we could go into Matthew 25, which again is the continuation of the Olivet Discourse, the eight parables, and we go to chapter 25, verse 31, to the last parable. And the last parable is about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And again, in context, in the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus is talking to the apostles and answering their question about what is the sign of your coming and what will happen at the end, at the end of the tribulation. And Jesus is answering, and he finishes up by talking about the Gentiles. He's been talking principally to Israel about the Jews, but he wants to talk about the Gentiles now and how they re- how they treated the Jews during the tribulation. That's the purpose of the um, parable number 8. And it says in verse 31 of Matthew 25, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So he is going to move from the right hand of the Father to his own throne 
in Jerusalem, and we read that in the Old Testament principally, about how he will sit on his throne in bodily form, although in his glorified body, obviously, as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will judge the nations. And here he's judging the Gentiles, and there's a lot to talk about here, and we're not going to cover that here. We'll cover that when we get to it as a another set of prophetic terms in this series of teaching. But just as an overview, this is the Son of Man coming to judge all the Gentiles of the earth and how they treated his people, Israel. And if you've been taught uh, otherwise that he's come for any other reason, I merely ask you to go to the book of Joel, the book of Joel, which is one of the minor prophets. It's If you find Daniel as a major prophet book, and then you move to the right into the um, minor prophets, you come to Hosea, and then you'll get to Joel. And go to Joel chapter 3, verse 2, and it clearly tells you, it's talking about this judgment right here, and Jesus is judging the Gentiles of the world who made it through the tribulation. He's judging them for how they treated Israel, how they treated the Jews during the tribulation. And those that uh, treated them well will go into eternal life. And you see that in verse 46, the very last verse of Matthew uh, Matthew 25. It says, for these will go into eternal punishment. Those are those who treated the Jews poorly, but the righteous or the sheep into eternal life. So you see, this is one of the major judgments when Jesus comes back. And here is a, it's a judgment of the Gentile world. You're either a Gentile or a Jew in God's eyes. So this is very clearly one of the key judgments. And you see in verse 31, again, of Matthew 25, that it is conducted by the Son of Man. We go back to John chapter 5. It said that all judgment was given by God to Jesus, and that as a judge, he's referred to as the Son of Man man. So this basically wraps up our look at point number one. Again, we have seven sets of terms we want to look at in this teaching series. But the key thing to understand, and we've said it over and over again, is that the Son of God, when you see it, relates to Jesus and believers. Jesus and believers, where he comes to reward with crowns, he comes to bless and he comes to take us back to heaven with him. So Son of God is related to the rewarding side of Jesus' manifestation. The Son of Man is the term that's used to describe him as he relates to the unbelieving world. He is going to be the judge of the world as the Son of Man. So that when you see these two terms, it uh, should instinctively Open your eyes as to basically who's being talked to. You can pretty much guess, um, and I'm not going to make a carte blanche um, 100% statement here because there's always an exception somewhere, but the Son of God is talking talking to believers. The Son of Man is talking to unbelievers, and Son of Man relates to judgment. All right, in our next program, we're going to go over to the Day of Christ and compare it with the day of Lord. I'm excited about that because that has to do with the rapture as compared to the second coming. And uh, I pray that'll be a blessing to you. But let's go 
Now over to our Q&A portion, as we always do in each of our programs. And let's continue on with Matthew 25. So conveniently, that's where we were just now in our teaching portion. So in our Q&A, we are working through answering a question from Rich in Indian Springs about the functioning of the Holy Spirit in the tribulation period. And we've uh, made the point uh, over the last number of uh, programs through a lot of scriptures that the Holy Spirit during the tribulation period will be functioning as he did in the Old Testament. By that, I mean that he would come on a righteous person and that uh, if that person turned from righteousness to uh, iniquity, uh, the scriptures are very clear that the Holy Spirit would leave that person. And if that person was in a in a time of iniquity when he died, he would be punished as an unbeliever. However, if an evil person uh, living in iniquity were to turn to righteousness through faith in the Old Testament and died, that person, even though they may have been an evil person for a good part of their life, if they died in righteousness and faith, at that point the Holy Spirit was with them and that they would have an eternal life with um, Jesus and uh, Father God. So he would come on, but he could leave. The church age, when he came into a believer in Jesus Christ after Pentecost, which is when the church was started, the Bible tells us very clearly in in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit never leaves a believer. No matter what they're doing in their life, they are being led by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And um, there are various degrees of that, and we can certainly get into that at another time. But the key thing is, the Holy Spirit never leaves a person that is a member of the church. But the church is taken out at the rapture, and then the seven-year tribulation begins, and the Holy Spirit goes back to uh, manifesting himself the way he did in the Old Testament. And we were looking at that in Matthew chapter 25 as we looked at the parable of the ten virgins. And in our last program, we ended by reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, one of the clearest descriptions of the rapture of the church found in the Bible. Another very clear one is in 1 Corinthians 15, starting around verse 51. Uh, another one is in Matthew, excuse me, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. All of those are clear rapture passages. And I did that to help us to compare and contrast the terms that we see as we go through the parable of the ten virgins, because the parable of the ten virgins, again, part of the Olivet Discourse, the eight parables that Jesus gave the um, apostles that were sitting with him there on the Mount of Olives to help describe um, his admonition to Israel to persevere to remain righteous to the end of the tribulation period so that you could be saved. If you applied what he said to today, that would be a member of the church. I want to make that distinction. If you came to faith, you could not lose the Holy Spirit. You would be a part of the church. But he's talking to Israel during those Israelites that will be living during the seven-year tribulation because things are different relative to the Holy Spirit, as I've been pointing out, that 
they need to remain righteous to the end to be saved. And we saw that in Matthew 24, verse 13, where it says, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The end is the end of the tribulation. Being saved means literally being saved, uh, counted as righteous as opposed to being counted as unrighteous. If that passage were found in other places as it is, it doesn't say to the church to endure to the end to be saved. It says endure to the end so that you do not lose your rewards. In other words, be about the work of Christ during your Christian life so that you can receive rewards at the Bema seat. There's nothing in there about so that you can be saved. That just applies, this passage just applies to the tribulation period. And I'm emphasizing that, as I've said several times, because this passage is taken so much out of context. So let's, um, let's go through here and understand, first of all, that in the flow of context, this is talking about the tribulation. Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25 are part of the same Olivet Discourse. Jesus is answering the question, what will be the sign of your coming and what is and the events at the end? It has nothing anywhere in here to do with the rapture of the church, has nothing to do with the church. It's all Israel. And so you, you look at that from a contextual perspective, you, you see that the church doesn't apply here. But there are several things. You see that we're talking about ten virgins here. They're talked about being virgins all the way through here. Well, where is the bride? If this is the rapture of the church, where is the bride? The whole wedding and the wedding feast, all of this that's uh, talked about is for the bride. Um, but we're not seeing the bride anywhere in here. We're not seeing us. We're the bride. We're not seeing us anywhere in here. We're not seeing any reference in here, for instance, in uh, verses 1 through 13 of Matthew 25, any reference to the body of Christ, which is the church. You see uh, Christ and the authors of the New Testament talk about the body all the time when they're talking about the church, but you don't see that. Uh, You don't see the term in Christ anywhere in here, which would be another telltale um, evidence that we're talking about the church. Uh, You see nothing about a rapture in here anywhere. You see nothing about living people at the moment that the bridegroom comes, as it says in verse uh, 1, at the moment the bridegroom comes, if you're alive, if that's the rapture, then you're translated in bodily form. If you're dead at the time that the bridegroom comes, you're resurrected from the grave. You see no reference to the translation of the living or the resurrection of the dead anywhere in here. Also, very importantly, the bridegroom. The bridegroom comes down to the earth here. Well, that's the second coming when Christ comes to the earth. Remember in the rapture, the the, um, the bridegroom Christ comes in the air, as we read last week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The bridegroom comes in the air for the church. Uh, we see in verse 5 here in Matthew 25 that everybody's asleep at one point in time. The church isn't asleep. Uh, You may say there's portions of it on Sunday morning, (laughs) but it says that all of them were asleep, both those that had the oil and those who didn't have the oil. Uh, It talks about the the bridegroom delaying. Well, that's referenced back up above in in, uh, previous parables that Jesus shared. So 
these are several points, and we're going to finish up these points in our next program because it's important that we kind of bring closure to this because this is an important point to be made to answer Rich's question. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.